assistant principal at the College for Office Training in New York. She's been an officer in the Salvation Army for 28 years and has served globally in leadership, local Salvation Army congregations, both urban and suburban. All right, there's a lot of stuff she said not to read. Uh, incredible work, incredible work. There's this really cool sentence I have to read. Okay. Janet is the daughter of a Nazarene pastor father and a disciple-making mother, the wife of an Anglo-American egalitarian husband, and the mother of two beautiful, articulate, and blessed young adults, Nielsen? Nelson? Nielsen. Uh, American egalitarian husband, uh, uh, and Lieutenant Olivia, both of whom live in New York City. Um, she is here, going to be speaking to us. Can we give her a warm and welcome, please? All right, and with that, will you stand with me as we pray? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the sunlight, um, for the warmth, God. I thank you, dear God, for the joy in this room. It's incredible to be together. And as we come to the end of a week, Lord, we just pause to recognize who you are and the ways that you love us, God. It is, it is overwhelming at times, and often we forget. So help us to kind of enjoy this experience together, Lord. Help us to lean into to, to, to the, the truths that you have for us, Lord. Um, help us to live as your people. We give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. We have the scripture from Ephesians chapter 2 on the screen. I'd like to invite us to read this together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Let's read this out loud together, please. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You have been saved. Places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand. Walk in them. Well, Jesus was a Nazarene, and so was I. I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene here in the Boston area. My relatives go deep in the Nazarene Church. Lots of, lots of uh, extended family in the Church of Nazarene ordained therein. And then as a teenager, I got working at Camp Wonderland in Sharon, Massachusetts, my first intersection with the Salvation Army. And uh, that was uh, the beginning in my awareness of God's rescue plan for my life, but I'll come back to that later. But uh, only as an adult did I realize that the founder of the Nazarene Church, Phineas Brzee, and William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, were very similar in that they sought to return to John Wesley's original goal of preaching the gospel and caring for the poor and underprivileged. And so, like the Salvation Army, obviously we're known for a lot of charitable work, good deeds, social service, and social action. Likewise, Church of the Nazarene has its Compassionate Ministries branch. And uh, someone wrote a book a few years ago, years ago called, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born?, and the authors point out that uh, gives us a short primer of the history of Christianity as it's affected the global scene over the centuries. So it was Christians who led the establishment of hospitals. It was Christians who led in the establishment of universities and higher education, literacy and education for the masses, 
Sunday School was originally an education opportunity, a reading literacy program for poor people and ch poor children in particular. Christians led the way in the fight for the abolition of slavery, in the elevation of the status of women in society, value of human life, development of the arts, higher standard of justice, and so on. So the Christian community has always stressed support of the widows, the orphans, the sick, and the disabled. And look around the world today, right? Great social needs today. We can pick a fight. Anybody want to pick a fight? Here's some. Fight against poverty, economic discrimination. Fight. Let's pick a fight with violence against women. Fight against rape as a weapon of war, against human trafficking. Let's pick a fight with sexism and racism and refugees and illiteracy and basic educational needs and religious persecution. All the problems in the world today, there's a lot of need in the world. Those are a few. Name a few. Let's pick a fight. Uh, Isaiah 1:17 says, "Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphans, fight for the widows." And of course, we recognize in the New Testament that the heart of Jesus' teaching and preaching was about caring for the poor. Right? Matthew 25: When you feed the hungry, when you care for the homeless, when you visit those in prison, you're doing it to me. Jesus said. So we recognize this is absolutely a part of Christian history. Uh, Wesleyans have always emphasized social action in a particular way, thankful for the emphasis of the Catholic Church, and all kinds of Christians have emphasized this over the years. And now, I say to you, there's a generation needed, a generation of, of Christians needed to take action, to become involved, and you are gifted, advantaged, privileged, capable of great good, of positive influence in the world. You're living in America, and you're getting a college education. Right there, huge advantages for which you are responsible. The need in the world, undeniable. The responsibility of the church to engage with the need, inescapable. Two dangers as we face these truths. One is that as advantaged adults, uh, even to the least, the last, even to the least among us, we are hugely privileged as compared to most of the seven billion people on planet Earth today. So one danger for us as privileged people is the temptation to conclude that our lives are our own, that we are completely free to do whatever we want with our resources, our education, our talents, our gifts, our financial advantages. It might not seem likely at this moment as college students, but some of you will become very prosperous financially. And uh, again, the danger is that we think that our lives are our own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us, newsflash from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus didn't die to have your sins. He died to have you, to have access to you, to your body. He's the head, we're the body. He died to have access to your energy, to your pa passions, to your life, to your body. We are not our own. We belong to him. For people who have been died for. It is a, another outrageous injustice for us to live independent of God's leadership who died to have us as a people unto himself. You are his, and so am I. Well, the need of the world, undeniable. The responsibility of the church to engage with the need, inescapable. So if one danger is for us in our affluent context to think that we can do whatever we want with our resources, to forget the truth that we are not our own, we are bought at a price, another danger is to get into the American Idol approach to Christianity, life, and leadership with the question, who am I? Christ performers, Christ followers, who perform in the hopes of achieving acceptance and earning praise, not from a panel of judges, but from God. If I just do better, we long to hear the voice of someone, anyone, praising us, affirming us. 
And if we think we've done well, that feeling can be quite fleeting, and we have to perform again in order to hold our position. Well, I've recently read a book by Steve Brown called Leading Me, and in it he compares the cycle of grief with the cycle of grace right out of the Ephesians 2 passage that we read. In the cycle of grief, this is the, the American Idol approach, right, the dangers from our context, to think we have to achieve first, right? The first thing we have to do is prove ourselves. That's where we start. And from there we find our identity around our achievements. Well, I've succeeded at school, or I'm getting a good job, or I'm a good athlete, or I'm popular, or I have certain relationships intact, or I'm physically attractive, whatever our source of achievement might be. And that forms our identity. And then that can drive us to be driven, to make ourselves more acceptable and to others and to ourselves. And then after that, we hope for a sense of acceptance, but this is temporary and fleeting. Well, f from social media, we recognize uh, we, in our family, we're all out there on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, but uh, if we tag our whole family, because we've been living in various parts around the world, if all of the members of our immediate family are tagged in a photo, we, uh, on a good day, can hope for several hundred likes on a given Facebook photo. But it's true, you know it in your heart, a million likes will never be enough if you don't like yourself, right? It's never quite enough. So the cycle of grief is unsatisfying, but it's a danger for us in our world today as Christians or just even in uh, the ambitious, competitive American society. Well, Steve Brown, the author, goes on to compare this with the cycle of grace, in which he talks about the starting point is a place of acceptance, unconditional grace. From Ephesians chapter 2, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace. It is by grace. It is by grace you have been saved. So we start there in Christ. We are accepted. It's not about what we do. It doesn't start there. We are accepted. This is a cycle of grace. We don't have to prove anything. Then comes sustenance that we're constantly renewed through dependence upon God, also from Ephesians chapter 2, that God would show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, Ephesians 2, 7. So we start with accepted. We know we belong to God by grace, through faith. The work has been done by Jesus. That sustains us and nourishes us on the inside, day after day, no matter what we face. And that forms then our identity, a sense of significance, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority. We are sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. We belong. We are accepted. It's a beautiful cycle of grace. And then comes achievement. It's not that we do nothing coming out of these, re these realities, these truths. But then comes our service in loving, obedient ministry. For we are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10 created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So rather than achievement forming our identity, and then it drives us in the hopes of acceptance, the cycle of grief, in Christ we begin with acceptance. I belong to God through faith in Christ. That sustains us, it forms our identity in a whole holistic way, a healthy way, and out of that flow the good works that have characterized the church from day one. Our identity or the identity of God revealed in Christ Jesus is who we are. God loves us. He loves the world. He loves the whosoever. He loves the poor, the outcast, the least, the lost, the rejected. Our identity is in him. He's a good father, and we are loved by him. That's who we are. Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 encourages us 
that we would know and believe the love that God has for us. Well, I mentioned that uh, I was raised in the greater Boston area my whole life and started working at Camp Wonderland uh, on the South Shore as a teenager. And uh, during that time, I joined a ministry community, as you do at camp, and I saw the church at work caring for the poor, uh, children who were underprivileged, and it captured my heart. And I began to be part of a community that uh, nourished, met the needs of others and was less self-absorbed than I was feeling at that time. And that began God's rescue of my own heart, my own life. A few years later, uh, I was at what was then Boston Garden. I guess it's TD Garden now. Same site right there at the end of the, the North Shore train line in Boston. And right there, God ambushed me with his love. And I felt this deep impression in my spirit that Jesus was speaking to me. I was not in a good place uh, emotionally or spiritually from some pain in my journey. But I felt Jesus speak to me and say, Jan, there's better for you than this. And I knew in an instant that he was telling me the truth. I knew that it was Jesus, and I knew that he loved me. And I knew he was telling me the truth, that there was something better for me. And so I surrendered to his love. And then within a year, I was out in California at Point Loma Nazarene College. And again, at a event kind of like this, a strong sense of the Holy Spirit there with me and uh, a deep, deep touch by the Holy Spirit of God, changing my heart and consuming my energies. I, I got a revelation, I'd say, in that moment that I am not my own, that I am bought at a price. And I needed to surrender my energies and my potential to the Lord Jesus himself. So, beloved ones, this aching world awaits your love-driven response your action and energies, not for selfish ambition, but for the love of Christ. Not by trying to earn God's love or people's approval, but as overflow of knowing and believing the love that God has for us. Know his love. Believe his love for you. May you surrender this morning to the truth that our God is a good father and that your primary identity is as beloved of him that Jesus has laid down his life, he's paid with his own blood to open the way for you to be part of this beautiful family of God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You and I are not at liberty to live as we please, to do whatever we want with our resources, but we're blood-bought. We belong to Jesus Christ. So I encourage you this morning to surrender your plans, your future, your potential to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to recognize that it's an injustice when someone has paid the price, it's an injustice not to give them the reward of what they paid for. We are the reward of Jesus' sufferings, that we would be his people. So I challenge you, whether you're thinking about the future in terms of your own planning, you belong to God by creation and by redemption. You belong to him. Surrender your future, surrender your plans, surrender your potential to him, invite him in, surrender to his leadership. Jesus, I acknowledge this morning that you have a right to my life. You have a right to my future. You have a right to my talents, to my resources, to my impact in this world. I surrender my energies, dear Lord God, to what you want to accomplish in this world. I'm from this area and uh, visited this venue, this church, many, many times in my earlier years. And even with the balcony up there, it's a reminder of the Hebrews 12 verse we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on you and i are part of a continuity of christian faith on planet earth who have always been devoted to being active in the world for good and for god to caring for the most broken 
to being attentive to the needs of the poor and the outcasts. And as Jesus said, as you do it to them, you do it to me. So I challenge you again this morning to surrender your energies for that vision, for that mission. What does it look like for you? How can you be attentive to the people who are on Jesus' heart? The Father reminds us in the Psalms that he's near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's where God's presence, where his, uh, his heart is, his affection is there very deeply. And if that's you, perhaps you self-identify as, actually, I'm crushed in spirit. I'm the brokenhearted. Be comforted in the certainty that he's after you. He's in pursuit of you. He's with you. He knows you. He understands you. My own journey, it was in the very worst season of my life that the love, the love of God broke in and saved me. So whatever the hardship may be for you, perhaps there's some brokenness in your own journey, your own pain, and you feel the wounds of that, I want to encourage you. The Father sees. He's good. He's not out to hold out on you any good thing. His leadership is excellent. He's trustworthy. You can trust him. His compassion and his love are such that they heal the brokenhearted and set the oppressed free. May we be recipients of those things in our own hearts, our own journeys, and may we be conduits of healing the brokenhearted and setting the oppressed free with our own energies. And may you, in this generation, we together, but you a few years after me, may you be faithful with your lives as we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on, saying, we did our part before you got here. Again, for centuries, right? The church has gone before us, cheering us on. And it matters how you live your life and how I live mine to those who've gone before us and to those who come after us. Let's get it right in our part of the race that's before us, right? Let's get it right. Not absorbed in our own... Um, vanities, not disconnected from the cares of the world, the things that break the Father's heart, but also not, not burning with uh, ambition or self-effort, but leaning deeply into our identity as children of the Father. And then we'll find the good works that the Father has prepared in advance for us to do. I'd like to pray for you, and then we're going to sing. He's a good, good Father. It's who he is. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that you'll give each one a sense of revelation of the identity of your love for them. Reveal to each person here deep in the depths of their soul that you are a good father and that you love them. Reveal to each one of us a deeper revelation of our identity as beloved of God. I'm loved by you, Father. It's who I am. It's who I am. Give a deeper revelation, Lord, that we don't have to strive to be approved of, to be accepted, but that we lean into your grace, and out of that gracious provision, good works will flow that are effective and fruit-bearing. I pray for this generation, Father, that there'll be an awakening of the Holy Spirit, the love of God in the world through Jesus Christ, through just this generation called of you. I pray that you'll awaken us, give us a revelation that our lives are not our own. We are bought at a price. We are to honor you with our bodies, with our energies, with our capacities, with our potential, with our resources. They belong to you. Give us revelation on these things, Father, that we would run a good race in our day. This minute we have on planet Earth, Lord, help us to live well, to live well, to order rightly our priorities according to your own value system, Lord Jesus. Awaken us. 
I pray for a great awakening here at Eastern Nazarene College in these days, that your spirit will be strongly at work, revealing the love of Jesus and the calling that you have for every single one of us to live out of our identity as beloved of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.